me recap real fast. Number one, core value. We boldly hold the Bible above culture, tradition, and opinions. It's number one, and it trumps all. Number two, we share the gospel in every way we can with everyone we can, from vacation Bible school to passing out a track, track to world evangelism, mission trips, and sending out missionaries. Number three, we are a growing family that makes every person feel loved and at home. We do not have the mindset that the church is too big. We don't have a cap saying, all right, we had four people saved this morning. Everybody go back to your seats. That's enough. We'll never have that mindset. People were saved, baptized, and added to the church, and the church grew and created an army of reaching the world. We believe that everything that God gave us to do is worth doing with passion and excellence. We don't do it half-heartedly. Jesus, the passion of the Christ was the cross He went to it with joy and excitement because he was dying for us as his people that he loved. We're to do what we do with love. We should do what we do and it should display joy. We should strive for excellence. We should do it well. We should do it right. And we should do it with relevance. It should relate to what we're doing in the culture in which we live, but not speaking of sin. Number five, we have no big shots. It's not about us. It's all about God. Jesus was clothed in humility. He took out his outer coat and got down on his feet or on his hands and washed their feet and loved on them. And I tell you, I might not be able to shake every person's hand or get to know every person, but I never want to be the type of person that puts myself up on a pedestal and has to be ushered out to my private jet. We're God's messengers. We're servants. Whether you hold the title deacon or whatever it is, we don't have big shots. We lift up Jesus Christ that he might increase and we might decrease is what the Bible says. But let me tell you, these next ones are equally important. And I'm going to ask you guys to take notes. And on the back of your bulletin, you have a spot to do that. We will post this afterwards. We do that, the outline in digital, or in digital form. We also will give you uh, a digital copy of the actual message that I'm preaching on right now. But I'd love you to retain, if you can, because as I go through verses, you might not be able to keep up with them all. But I want you to know that this is biblical. See, the reason why I'm getting so much into this today is because too many good families struggle in life and they don't know why. Too many people are seeking success and they end up failing and they don't know why. Church, if we get away from the Bible, there is no success. If we don't do it God's way, it does not work. Jesus was teaching and he gave this illustration upon the rock I will build my church. And then he gave this other teaching and he was talking about the wise man and the foolish man. And the wise man built his house upon the rock, but the foolish man built his house upon the sand. The sand falls apart and it's based on man's opinions. What we feel and I don't see that way and I don't agree and all this. But the rock, the rock, okay, we say Jesus Christ, if you were in our Bible study Wednesday night, The word of God is Jesus Christ. And when he comes back, his name is called the word of God. He is the word of God. John 1.1 talked about the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We are communing. We are fellowship. We are listening to Jesus this morning. That's biblical. So we build upon his word. We can easily look at the world and say, well, they're falling apart. And they've gotten away from God. I tell you, we can fall apart if we get away from God's word could be us just as well if we are not careful we can slowly become a club a hangout a place to feel good and go 
and not get into the meat of God's word, when we reject God in any way, we're not following him and it affects everything from ministries, the family to marriage. God had a plan and his plan always, always works. Success comes when we follow Christ. But I'll tell you, and everybody would say amen to that. But you guys realize that there was 12 men that followed him, but there came times that bigger crowds would gather around him and he would say something and all of a sudden those bigger crowds became much smaller crowds because they were like, I'm not, are you kidding me? Where's all the loaves and fishes? That's what we like. Where's all that teaching about inheriting the kingdom of God? Give us more than that. More of that. And it's, it's one of those things that sometimes, guys, we've got to be careful not to be a church that has itching ears of, oh, I just want to walk out feeling fuzzy. Sometimes as parents, our kids don't walk away from us feeling fuzzy. We have to say, stop that and don't do that and get back to your room and do your homework. And I don't like that. I mean, just sometimes as parents, to, to put us on the right track, we've got to give it to them straight and right. You see, Jesus came to show us how to live, how to trust, how to submit, how to follow Jesus was different in every way possible. We looked at his example of humility. We looked at his example of love and compassion and those different things that he gave. But Matthew 16, 24, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He said, all right, if you want to follow me, that's great. But um, once you, once you load that up on your back and then follow me, Jesus had not yet died on the cross. So they weren't looking at that as, oh, the cross at the cross, at the cross, where first of all, it did, none of that was there. So they were just looking at it. So uh, the torture device, it'd be like today, I was like, I want, I want a lot of you guys to take up your electric chair and follow me. He'd be like, I, I, is that guy nuts? Did, did he just say electric chair? Did he just say, you guys understand that the, in biblical times, that was, that was a, a symbol of sacrifice. And nobody just laid themselves down on the cross. That was, that was radical, bizarre. See, it goes into John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The principle that he was teaching to them, that when you love something, you're willing to give of yourself for the sake of others. That is what sacrifice is. You give of yourself for the sake of others, and you truly give of yourself when you love others. There's no greater love than this. Do you hear this? You can walk and say, I love the world, and I love them that are lost, and I love seeing people come to know Christ. He said, there is no greater love than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. That is biblical. We want to sit there and talk about how much we love God and love people. This is it. This is, this is where we tune into. This is, where, this is where we apply it. The misconception that it is all feel good. But understanding that salvation was not free. Although we sit there and say, let me tell you about the free gift of salvation. It was free because he paid for it. Our freedom today that we celebrate every time we see the American flag and we pledge allegiance. We stand up in a nation that's free. Let me tell you, it was not free. Our salvation was not free. It took somebody that loved others to lay down their life for the sake of others. It was not free. So we followed Christ's example because he said, take up your cross 
If you want to, you better deny yourself and you follow me. So here it is, church. If we're going to follow Christ and be a biblical church and be biblical families, we do this. Core value number six, we give sacrificially while managing all of God's resources for his glory. This is very deep, broad, and biblical. And to be honest, as much as I'm going to give you today, I am only going to be skimming the top. Let me break this down. Letter A, we follow Christ's example. When he said, follow me, same way as I gave that illustration a minute ago about self-sacrifice as the, the, the image that we see of the tomb of the unknown soldier and Arlington Cemetery and all those people that went and gave of themselves for the sake of others. Self-sacrifice, giving of yourself and loving people in that way. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The verse that we quote the most, the one that we write on our faces at a ball game or hold up on a sign or plaster on our bumpers, is everything about self-sacrifice. God gave his best for the sake of others. He gave sacrificially. When we see the cross all around us on on walls and t-shirts and necklaces, and and then we say that I follow Christ, and Christ says, that's great. (laughs) If you want to identify with that, that's identifying yourself with self-sacrifice. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's like, whoa. (laughs) Wait a minute. Tell me more about the gift of salvation. Tell me more about, do you realize that the gift of salvation is still available and there's others that need it? And God says, but I need you to give of yourself for the sake of them. We follow Christ's example next. This is good. We not only follow Christ's example, but we obey, obey God's instructions. The word is absolutely authority and it guards and guides and, and leads our lives. It is our hope. Let me give you something I gave Wednesday night. In Joshua 1, 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of my mouth. Now listen to this. You want, you want to know why families struggle, fall apart, and, and, and why Christian families say, I don't understand, I go to church every week and things aren't working out, and my marriage isn't working out, and all, all these things that are just not working out. And God says, let me, t- let me put it like this. He takes his word and he says, I'm, I'm going to give it to you like this, but please take note of this. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, literally meaning it should be on your lips but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. In every aspect of your life, from the waking up to the going of your day to till, till you're going to bed, this book of the law that thou mayest observe to do. Not to know, not to be familiar, to do according to all that is written therein. You guys ready for this? You want to change 2017? You want to change your life? You want to change everything? Apply what I just said. And then, and only then, will thou make thy ways prosperous. And then, and only then, will thou have good success. I I don't know what else to say. Say it. I, I... If I only could get more hours, and God says, are they really thinking that more hours is going to make it better? If I only had that promotion, if if my kid only made varsity, all these other things, then life would be, and God says, man, they're not getting it. 
This is it. If you'll observe to do Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, all the way through. It's not a buffet. It's not pick and choose. Can I have uh, salvation with a uh, side of eternal security and give me... Uh... That's, that's how we want to view the Bible. And God says, no, 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 no. If, if they would learn to do all that is written therein. Prosper. And l- listen to, to, to what it's saying. Over, over the past year, I've hit Revelation in, from a number of angles. And I've, I've done series and messages on this. And I tell you, I can't get away from giving this to you now. Because, guys, I, I'm saying all that I'm saying right now. Because our generation, this generation right now, has to get that. Or there will be no success. You see that? Zero success and zero prospering for God's people, God's church, God's ministries, or your family without observing to do all that is written therein. Because if, if I was to look back at Joshua, and God gives this instructions all the way back then, and that instruction, obeying God's word, is all the way through. And if I was to take you all the way through the timeline of the Bible and hit you all the way back to Revelation, when God is now looking back and we're at the threshold of God taking us home and God opens up the verse in the Bible. And why I, I love Revelation so much is it's, it's us, guys. It's us. I wasn't there when the walls of Jericho fell and I was not there when Elijah prayed down fire. But I am here in the verse that I'm about to read. So he's writing to the seven church ages and the seven periods of time in there. We get to Revelation 3.13. And he starts talking and exposing the problem of us. He said, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, these things saith the Amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. And I would that thou art cold or hot. So thou, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of thy mouth. And we've done lots of studies on that. But this last one bothers me, verse 17, because thou sayest, you know why there's apathy? You know why there's no uh, fervency? You know why there was no revival? You know why there was so much apathy within the body of Christ? Because thou sayest. Maybe they didn't visually and verbally did it or say this, but God knew their heart. Even when he said, "I, I knock at the door of your heart, God said, I'm looking inside the window of your heart and I know why you're this way. Thou sayest. I am rich. I'm increased with goods. I have needed nothing. Material possessions is what he talked about. I am rich. I don't really have a need of God. I have no need of laying myself at the altar and praying down revival from heaven or asking God to say, oh man, life is good. It's not a salvation. It's not a faith issue. It's not a Bible issue. It's not any of these things. This was a stuff issue. Stuff. Can I tell you guys, I'm, I'm throwing us all in here together. We have a stuff issue. Our generation feels, and I, I know I, I'm going to talk to the older generation and just kind of put you guys off to the side for a minute. Can I, can I just talk to the younger generation for just a minute? We will freak out if we have an iPhone 6 and the iPhone 7 has come out. They will go down to the Apple store, camp out overnight 
to get a phone that makes phone calls the same way that the one in their pocket does. But it takes selfies in low light and I've got to have it. We are a speed it up, make it better. I need an upgrade. I need it now. We have smart watches, smartphones, and smart TVs and dumb people. And yet, and all the technology and all the stuff and all the blessings and gadgets from our iPads to our GPS and our cars to our Xboxes and our Wi-Fi and our smart TVs and our, our internet cameras and all the other stuff that we have, we are still missing something. There is no revival. There is no pouring. And I'm not saying that God's not saving people and I'm not this. But we can look back at a day and age where God was pouring out blessings from heaven and revivals were coming. And something is missing. I want it. Guys, I am not saying, all right, revival will come. We're going to throw all out all our phones. If you stick your phone in a trash can, I'm going to sell it, okay? I'm not saying that. It's not the point of this message at all. I'm saying we're distracted. Distracted by stuff. You know, it's crazy as God called it out. In Revelation, in the Bible, in the Word of God, God called it out. Does that not make anybody else just like... Look at our kids at Christmas when we can dish out $500 on gifts and things like that and says, well, it's only a 32 gig and not a 64 gig. And we're just like, it's a tough, they, they are struggling people. This is a tough, tough times for them. But then mom can forget her cell phone and she'll be 20 minutes late for work because she had to go get back. And cell phone because she cannot get backed up on her angry, angry birds and uh, <laughs> priorities. He says, verse 19, as many as I love, he never stopped loving. I rebuke and I chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. We read that last week. Behold, I stand at the door of 2017. And I knock. And if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Now, let me remind you, the church did not lose God. This is a relationship with God, not an absence of God. It's a visual of Jesus standing at the door wanting in. And he said the ones that are in, the visual stuff, next verse, whatever, was... And then sitting there going... I hate you, I hate you too, this doesn't work, and we're going to go to church and act like we love each other, and all these things that are there, and Jesus is standing there going. Do we see it? I'm speaking to you guys because I love you, because I'm in it too. I have the stuff. I I get distracted just like anybody else. I'll, I'll be... Intense and study and all this other stuff. And ding, 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 you know, it's like, oh, you know. I have four, I'm up to four likes on one of my pictures right now. Okay, guys, that is like, a, if I hit five, it's a record. Okay, so. We're sitting in the inside while Jesus is on the outside. And we're struggling on the inside when he's begging to get on the inside. And we're asking God through the crack of the door, why don't you like me? And God says, why don't you let me in? 
And, and I, you say, well, why? You got way off base. No, I didn't. Because in the last days, he said, when you're increased with goods and have need of nothing, it was an absence of God. It, it, it's a matter of priorities. Can, can I get it? That's, that's what it was. It was a matter of their priorities. We're way off. I know your works. He didn't say, where are you? He said, I know your works. When I speak on issues like this, people get all upset because it's, it's an issue about money. But what, what was killing the church was selfish gain. Money and possessions over God. It wasn't a presence of technology or presence of phones or anything like that. It was a matter of the priority was that God never made the list. See, see, when in reality, God was talking about priorities and wherever your money goes is what you love and what you make a priority. It's just this. If I had a list of feeding my kids or, you know, getting a new cell phone, I'd, you know, I'd have to have my new cell phone. I mean, I'd feed my kids. <laughs> Take that out of the CD, please. Or that was it. Let, let me remind you, let, let me capture you guys and bring you through to obey all that is written therein and show you the priority of this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let me ask you this. Who owns all things? Who runs all things? Who makes and rules all things? Who do we answer to? So let me give you a history lesson. From the very beginning, God created Adam and Eve. He gave a sacrifice in the garden to cover their sins. It was a self-sacrifice of an animal that did nothing. But that animal gave of itself for the sake of others. Adam and Eve. Cain and Abel came onto the scene. The very beginning of the passage, we find a war. The war broke out between two brothers over the sacrifice and the offering that God told them to bring before God. Abraham comes on the scene next. The very first thing that God does when he gives him a son is says, lay it on the altar and give me your first and give me your best. It was a matter of priorities. It was a matter of love. Who do you love more? And God gave it back to him and gave him and blessed him with the kids that mounted up as the sands of the sea. Moses went to Pharaoh in Exodus 3.18. He says, let them go for three days that we might sacrifice to the Lord our God. I take you to Leviticus 27 verse 30. And all the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the land of the tree is the Lord's, it is holy unto the Lord. And concerning the tithe of the herd and of the flock, even of whatsoever passes under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. Numbers 18, we keep walking through the Bible, verse 26. Thus speaketh unto the Levites and say unto them, when ye shall take of the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them for your inheritance, then ye shall offer up. A heave offering of it unto the Lord, even a tenth part of the tithe. Deuteronomy 14, 22. Thou shalt truly tithe all thy increase of thy seed that the field bringeth forth year by year. Joshua 22, verse uh, 23. That we have built us an altar to turn from the Lord and to offer there and burn offerings and meat offerings and offer peace offerings there and let the Lord himself require it. 2 Chronicles 3.15, and as soon as the commandment came abroad, the children of Israel brought in abundance of the first fruits. was always it. God came first of corn and wine and oil and honey and of the increase of the field and the tithe of all the things that they brought in abundantly. Nehemiah 10.38, and the priests of the sons of Aaron shall be with the Levites, and the Levites take tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe and of the tithes unto the house of our God. Amos 4.4-5, 4, 4 come to Bethel, transgress... At the Gilgal, multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving 
with leaven and proclaim the publish a free offering. Malachi 3.10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there might be meat in mine house. We come to the New Testament. When Jesus was born, the very introduction of Jesus was visitors. We, come, so we start with the shepherds and then we have the wise men. They brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. People often ask, why is that? We sing the little drummer boy song. You know, he's shivering in, the, in there and they bring gold. It should have brought a blanket, but they didn't. They bring him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let me explain that. In that day, he didn't need the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They needed to accomplish the mission. Joseph had left his place of doing his work as a carpenter to travel out and carry this out. Jesus was funded by the wise men to carry out the work of the Lord. The Bible teaches that God blesses a cheerful giver. The Bible says in the New Testament, given it shall be given unto you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, upon the first day of the week, let everyone lay in him store as God hath prospered. So pastors get this bad rap about preaching on money and giving, and yet it was God, not pastors and preachers. It's sad. I didn't come up with it. It's not one day I was sitting in my office going, ooh, I got an idea. You know, we'll make them bring in money, and I'm sitting there counting all of my coins, and get out of here, and I take the coal from the, Dave, and it, it doesn't happen like that. I'm sorry, I should write out my thoughts, but <laughs> in the New Testament, one out of every 10 verses in the Gospels has to do with money or possessions. This is a total of 288 verses in the New Testament. There's more said in the New Testament about money than about heaven and hell combined. The Bible has about 500 verses on prayer, fewer on faith, but over 2,000 verses dealing with money and possessions. Out of the 38 parables that Jesus taught, 16 of them dealt with money management. Money makes things happen, and God designed it that way. People sit there and say, that preacher's all about money. You know, just like, let me tell you, our world is all about money. And people sit there and say, I don't know why they want my money. Because you want heat and air, okay, and lights, and buses and tracks and evangelism missionaries. And God created that way from buses to Bibles, to Easter drama and vacation Bible school, to water bills and insurance. God knew and God planned it out. Before there was taxes, there was God. Before there was budgets, there was God. Before there was banks, loans, credit cards, malls, social security cards, retirement, there was God. God's business was first. God did not come and get in our way. We got in his way. God came to the New Testament and he gave his best and he gave his all. And we sit there and talk about sacrifice and how much should I give? And God said, well, I gave everything. Everything. And we're sitting there, you know, just like, what can we get away with? And God said, I held nothing back. God established the church. He called us to build a vision. He said, I will build a church. And he said, upon that rock, the gates of hell shall not prevail. And he prayed a promise going with it. And he said, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. 39 books in the, in the Old Testament. And the closer we get to the end, people began to drop the ball. It was just the way that it is. And it happens a lot of time with God's people. And so that's when he began to send prophets to do that. In the end of the New Testament, we get to Revelation, and he also says that people are dropping the ball because they're getting distracted with pleasures and things. Why? 
God says the, the love of money is the root of all evil. When you fall in love with that, it distracts you from the priority of why we're here, of that, that we're just passing through. Don't put your treasure here on the earth, but your treasure's up in heaven. Why did he do all this? What was his motive? He loved us. The motive of giving for people is love. We give to what we love. I would give my kids a hundred bucks if they needed it in a heartbeat over a complete stranger. And you say, oh, you're being partial. No, I love my kids. There's more than dollars and cents here. You've got to understand that this was personal with God. I take you back to Malachi. After 39 books of the Old Testament of offerings and sacrifices and everything that he did, the last book before we turn to Matthew and find the birth of our Savior, before there was hope of salvation, before there was the cross of Christ, before there was freedom from sin, before the church building was ever established, Turn, actually, turn with me. Mal- Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And every, this is, I, I want you guys to get this because everybody's going to sit there and go, Old Testament, Old Testament. I've, I've heard that so many times. Old Testament, stop. Let me show you Old Testament. Let me show you how God linked Old Testament with New Testament. There's a bridge here, okay? We're going to make a bridge here. Behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. John the Baptist. New Testament. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come into his temple. Jesus. New Testament. Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. I promise the Savior he is coming. He's going to do the work. He'll establish the local church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm going to turn the world upside down with them. Old Testament. Link to the New Testament. Keep reading. Verse 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Are you getting it? Mission, plan, purpose, everything. I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed, even from the days of your fathers. You are gone away from my ordinances and have kept, not kept them. Return unto me. Sound familiar in Revelation when he does the same thing? And I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye have said, wherein shall we return? And God gets on money. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, where have you robbed me? In tithes and offerings. Ye have cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me. Even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. That ye may be meat in my house. The things that I need to prove me. Now therewith, saith the Lord of hosts. And then he follows with a promise which God always does. It's not about poverty. It's not about what I'm giving up. It's about what God gives back. And if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. We're over here like this, and God's over here ready to do this. I'm not making this up. I'm not, this isn't preacher talk, or I'm going to get the offerings up and everything else. I give just like you do. I write checks to missions just like you do. I love the church just like you do. I sacrificially do it the same way because I love it, not because I have to. The Old Testament law, the law, I was under the law. New Testament, grace, all true. I went from the law and explained from law to grace, from contract to relationship. It's not about you have to give. It's about you get to give. Example, the law of the state's telling me that I have to feed and care for my kids. The law. 
Law will never have to knock on my door to tell me to feed my babies because I love them. And, and there's this crazy thing that people sit there and, and try to combine this thing. The Bible says, you love me because I, I, I first loved you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I'm not even trying to get there and do away with everything that God said in the Old Testament, the command and the law and giving all this other stuff. But I'll tell you, it went from the, the, the motive of I have to, the motive of he gave his best, he gave his all. And we give back to him out of an, out of an attitude of the heart. Why do you think the New Testament continued giving? And he combined it with God loves a cheerful giver. That, that, that means when we pass the offering, we talk about missions, or we're going to do a project for the glory of God, it's not a matter of, oh, here, and God's saying, what is that? Man alive, I, I, we're, we're talking about treasures in heaven and pleasing God and relationship with one another and the furtherance of the gospel, and I'm going to give of myself for the sake of others, and that's rah, rah, rah. You know, just like, can you imagine God sending his son, Jesus, will you go for me and die on the cross? Like, duh. I mean, you think it's not an attitude thing? And how pastors are normally hesitant of, oh, I've got to get up there and preach. I'm telling you what, I don't have to hesitate to preach on this because it's in the book. It's in the book. And if you don't observe to do all that is written therein and you want to pick and choose, then your ways will not be prosperous And this is not a prosperity-driven gospel of give and God will open it up and give you a Cadillac on your way out of church. That stuff's for the birds. That that, that whole attitude of give and what am I going to get back is selfish to the core. We follow Christ's example. We obey God's instructions. We manage God's provision. We, we, we give sacrificially, managing all of God's blessings for the glory of God. We love the passage that says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Man, I need to preach it to core. Man, well done, thou good and... Do you know why God says, well done, and good faithful servant? Let me read it to you. Matthew 25, 15. And I say unto the, the one, the, the parable of the talents, gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, and to every man according to his several ability and straightway took his journey and then he had received the five talents he went and traded with them the same and made them other five talents and likewise he had received two and he also gained two but he that received one went and digged it in the earth and hid the lord's money and after a long time the lord of those servants come and reckoned with them and so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Let me show you what we learned from this. Number one, all that we have belongs to the Lord. We sit there and talk about 10% and this and that, and that versus gross and all this. And God said, what, 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 what? It's all mine. If we don't feel that way, then we are hypocrites. Every time we stand up and say, I surrender all. I'm not going to sing, but, you know, I surrender all to Jesus. I surrender, I surrender all. And God's saying, are you serious? They're down there singing, I surrender all. And and they sit there and do this during the message when it comes to issues like this. 
It says in verse 20, or, uh, chapter 25, verse 18, his Lord's money. And, and let me stop and say right here, I know, I know this is money and the, the, the passage is now an illustration, but let me tell you what belongs to God. Your spiritual gifts, your talents, your time, your abilities, all given to us by God, all belongs to God. Everything that you have, everything that's going on in your life, if God gave you the ability to sing and you go out and sing for the world and you don't sing from God, you are digging a hole, burying it, sitting on it, and doing nothing with it to bring others to know Christ, to take the two and make four, to make, take the five and make ten. God says, I gave you blessings to invest it to make more. I am saved. I've been invested. I'm going to take my life to reach others that it's not just me going to heaven, it's five going to heaven. Does that make sense? You are accountable for what God has given you. Whether it's your time, whether it's your talent, whether it's your ability, whether it's your money, they all belong to God. Number two, this is what we learn. All that we have is to be invested in the kingdom of God. He took it. He invested it. He said, thou has been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Faithful. Let me ask you the question. Has God been able to find you faithful with what he has given you? Or else you were over there sitting on and saying, well, if God would do more, God says, I've already done. You have not been faithful with a little. How can I trust you with more? That's what it's just like. How do I do this? How do I start? God's saying, man, you got to start somewhere. Start with the few and I'll bless you with the many. But don't sit there and hoard from me. We follow Christ's example. We obey God's instruction. We manage God's provision. We invest in it. And let me tell you, church, you sit there and say, I'm crazy. And sitting there investing in, in, in building departments for the, the reaching of the next generation because the next generation is going to hell without God. And we get out there and we send out our buses and we send out our missionaries and we do the things that we do because I'm going to invest what God has given us because I'm not going to dig a hole and sit on it. I'm not going to make excuses. I'm not going to complain about it. I'm going to do what we can do for the glory of God. As long as there's daylight before God comes back, we're going to give it our all. And last thing, we embrace God's promises. Let me tell you this. God is good. New Testament, New Testament, when he said, given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all shall it be measured to you again. You give, God gives back. I believe this is a principle that is applied to time and resources and talents and everything else. I, I do, because the Bible doesn't in that verse just say money. Why is that? Because when you please God... And you invest in souls of what he came to die for and you invest back into that. You please God. When you invest in church and he died for the church and he's building the church and you invest in the church. You are giving back to the very thing that he gave his life for. You don't think that that blesses God. Our church was founded upon this from the very beginning. Pastor Denoff, he was at the heartbeat of missions and heartbeat of evangelism and heartbeat of personal sacrifice. God said, do it my way. And I will, only, I will not only meet the need in your life, God said this, I will exceed abundantly above, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. This is not a prosperity gospel, but I'll tell you what gospel it is. You reap what you sow. 
That's gospel. You reap what you sow. Meaning if you don't do any sowing, there will be no reaping. When I was a kid, my parents taught me this. I'm not patting myself on the back, but I'm saying literally from from the time that I got a dollar, from my first dollar as a kid, my parents would say, Tony, God comes first. I, I remember cutting grass at a gas station. I got $10 my parents taught me to give. My first job was at a grocery store called Winn-Dixie. And I got very, very little. I remember sitting in church and the offering plate was coming around. And my, I was sat right behind my mom. My mom reached back and says, you, you got your money? You, you got your tithes and offerings? What, you, did you bring it with you? I'm like, No. She said, next week, you better double up, make it right. God bless you with that job. You put God first. In marriage, Jen and I came together and we applied this, saying God will come first. We stepped out in faith to go through Bible college. While we were going through Bible college, I incurred quite a debt. I wasn't going to be able to take my exams. Through the weirdest, weirdest thing ever. I got a $20,000 check. And you say, well, that's just one of those stories of preachers. No, they got a $20,000 check. I walked in there and paid in full my bill and took my exams. I said, how is that possible? I, I serve a great God. And he works in mysterious ways. He doesn't always work through Chase Bank. I'm telling you, he doesn't always, he doesn't always work through a rich uncle either. So if you're trying to follow him around. Me and Jen were going on vacation and uh, as we're growing in our faith, I tell you, when missions is coming or giving and building fun, all that, we, we love to give because I tell you, you can't outgive God. And when you give, it shall be given unto you. We bought a washer and dryer. It broke. We're going on vacation, but we needed a washer and dryer. But I needed spending money because I wanted to go to Outback. I'm vaca- okay, don't judge me, but that's fun to do. So we're going to do this and we're going on vacation and all this other stuff. I told Jen, I said, we don't have spending money for vacation. We just don't. She said, beside that, our brand new washer and dryer broke. I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to call them up and they're going to come out and fix it. They did. It broke again. Oh, no. Called them a second. They did. They, it broke again. They came out a third time. And the guy said, three times is a lemon law. I have to lemon law this. I said, what does that mean? He said, Samsung's going to give you a new washer. All right. I said, all right. So that's cool. And he was sitting there and he said, what's going on? And he said, uh, I have to send you a check to get your new washer. This lemon law, it's got it's to be disposed of. He said, and you read off the amount of the check. I said, whoa, that's $600 more than what I paid. He said, didn't you buy a washer and a dryer? I said, yeah, but the washer's fine. It was the dryer that was broke. He said, well, sir, if you bought them in a pair, I have to refund them in a prayer. And I said, well, the washer's not broke. He said, sir, I did not make the rules. I have to send you a check for $600 over so you can buy the matching set. It's just the rules. And I'm like, okay. Rules are important. Send me that $600. I bought my house for $70,000 less than what it, from what it sold the last time to what I bought. I, guys, I could tell you, because here's the thing. With every avenue of my life, it's, it's bathed in blessings. You say, you're just, up there bless, uh, you're just up there bragging. Yes. Did you not catch on to that? I am bragging like crazy. To God be the glory, because I had no hand in any of that. None. You got the idea that, well, that's the preacher. He ought to be living by faith and doing all that. I'm no different than you. I don't sit there and drive the church on clouds and play harps in my office. I'm just a normal guy. But I serve an awesome God. 
And the thing is, if we don't tap into this and understand when, when in Malachi 3.10, when he said that, and he said, prove me now therewith, prove me means test me, try me. I've never lied to you before. I want to open up the windows of heaven. I want to bless the church. I want to expand its ministries. I want to move forward. But it cannot happen unless the church learns to take up their cross, deny themselves. It's not about stuff. It's about putting God first and being a living sacrifice. He didn't ask us to die on a cross. He asked us to follow him. Running over. Close with a verse. You sit there and say it's faith versus this or grace versus the law or it's it's Psalms thirty four verse eight. Oh taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. I can't say it I, I tell you guys however you want to put it, however you want to interpret it, it's in the book. It's not gonna work. It'll never work. Until you apply and willing to do all that is written therein.